just want to let those that are at watching this, um, wherever you're at, that the camera adds 50 or 60 pounds <laughs> to this, so you're aware of it. Um, just want to throw that out there. There, Justin just sent a message and said he was watching. And um, thanks, Justin, for watching. There's one person. He'll be here next week to do worship, and we're excited about that. Um, as I was preparing this week, uh, um, you know what? I was at one point where I just said, hey, I'm ready for this week to be over. Um, it's been a tough week for this community. And the reality is, is that there's no promise of it getting better tomorrow. Uh, the pain we felt yesterday, uh, we're going to feel tomorrow, maybe a little less. Maybe for some, we might feel it even more. Um, and so I plan to start a series today about the cross and about Easter and the resurrection. Um, but I just felt that where our community was in this moment, that we needed some help dealing with the grieving process. As a kid, I was never told how to grieve. And so what I learned, I learned from my parents and those around me. Uh, culture and society has had a lot to speak into how I was to accept loss uh, and recover from tragedy. And I can honestly say that culture and my parents didn't really grasp a good understanding of how to grieve properly. Because I believe that there are right ways and wrong ways to grieve. And as humans, we grieve all kinds of things, not just death, uh, but divorce or loss of employment, medical diagnosis. Uh, all these things can leave a wake of grieving people. And so I can't think of something more important to discuss today um, in, in this week in small groups. And I want to say this now so I don't forget later on that uh, the blended group that meets on Wednesday and the men's group and women's group that meets on Tuesday are open for anyone that wants to jump in this week and be a part of that discussion. I want to open those, those groups up. Um, but if you have a Bible, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, check the chair that you're sitting on or one around there. That's our gift to you if you need a Bible. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This text is not only going to say that there are multiple ways to grieve, but that the biblical way to grieve is a way that offers hope, unlike culture's way to grieve. Now, I would love to say that I came up with this on my own, but there are a couple of sources at play here. First is this book by uh, John and James, uh, John James and Russell Friedman called The Grief Recovery Handbook. Um, also, a, a sermon um, called A Better Way to Grieve by Bill Hybels. The pastor of Willow Creek spoke this uh, over a decade ago. It was a sermon that helped me out in a time where the church that I was in Michigan experienced two tragic losses in the matter of a very short time. And so what I want to do for the next 20 minutes or so, I want to compare these two uh, completely different ways to grieve. Cultures or society's way of grieving versus what I believe is God's approach or God's response to how we grieve. In their book called Grief Recovery, James and Friedman follow the story of a boy named Johnny. At the age of five, Johnny's dog dies, and Johnny is overwhelmed with emotion. That dog was his best friend, and now that dog is gone, and little Johnny is a mess. So Johnny's father intervenes and says, Johnny, don't cry, son. Let's go next week, and we'll get you a new dog. And in that moment, the first two things that culture teaches us about how to grieve take place. The first one is to bury your feelings. Don't cry, Johnny. Don't be upset. Hold it in. Bury it deep down inside. And the second is replace your loss. Next week, we're going to get a new dog, Johnny. You don't have to be upset any longer. We'll get you that new dog and you'll forget all about that old dog and it will be all better. 
The story of Johnny picks up uh, when Johnny is in high school. And Johnny has found his first love. And uh, uh, he's at the top of the world and things are awesome for him. But out of nowhere, this girl, she breaks up with Johnny and, and his heart is broken. And once again, Johnny's parents step in to save the day. Johnny, you're just a freshman in high school. There are tons of girls out there. You'll find the one that's right for you. So put your head up. Turn that frown upside down. Throw some cologne on. Get back out there, man. Let's go, boy. Bury that pain. Replace that loss. And now Johnny is ready for anything because he knows just how to grieve a loss. Well, it wasn't but just a few months later, Johnny, his grandfather dies. And this is, is a big loss for Johnny because the two of them would spend the summers together fishing and, and going to baseball games. And this is how Johnny found out. He was in class and there was a note that was given to him by his teacher. Unable to control his emotion, Johnny begins to sob. And it's obviously uncomfortable situation for the entire class. The teacher says to Johnny, if you want to go to the counselor's office or if you want to go for a walk and process this, you can. But you need to leave the classroom. Translation, you need to go get alone with your feelings so that you can regain composure. Johnny gets home from school and he walks in to see his mom weeping. She's in the living room and Johnny wants to sit next to his mom and, and hug her and cry with her. But Johnny's dad says to him, why don't you go outside and just shoot some hoops? Your mom needs some time to be alone. She'll be all right in a little bit and then if she wants to talk, you can. And now the next part of culture's process to grieving becomes apparent to Johnny. It's to grieve alone. So Johnny heads outside to the garage and he, he cries alone and he's overcome with this deep sense of loneliness. But for Johnny, this one hurt, it hurt a lot more than that dog or that girlfriend. And he wasn't sure how he could bury his feelings and how he could replace the loss of his grandfather. But eventually he got involved in school sports and he kept himself busy. And he did his best just to get over it. But for some reason, the memories of the fishing trips and the Christmas gatherings were just too overwhelming for him. And for months, his grandfather would, was all that he could think about. Until finally, he had to tell his dad. And again, his dad had the answer for Johnny. He said, Johnny, just give it time. And part four of culture's formula to grieving is time heals in and of itself. So what are the four stages so far? We got to bury your feelings. Replace your loss. Grieve alone. And give it time because time heals. And I wonder how many of us, this is our formula. How many of us have been taught this formula of grieving? Anyone? I know I have. Don't be ashamed. This, this is what I was taught. Well, the story goes on. Uh, Johnny gave it more time. But he still felt stuck in this hole of sadness. And it was only compounded by the guilt that began to set in. You see, Johnny, over time, realized that he never really thanked his grandfather for the fishing trips or the picnics that they had or the trips to the ice cream shop when the, fishing, uh, the fish weren't biting. And not only did he never say thank you for that, he doesn't really remember ever saying the words, I love you. And the question began to haunt Johnny. What can I do about that now? And his conclusion was nothing. I'll just live with regret the rest of my life. And that's the next part of the process. When there's unfinished business, plan to live with regret because there's nothing you can do about it. Well, that's not the end. There's still one more answer culture has for grieving. It doesn't take Johnny long to do the math. He looks back at his life and the losses that he's faced. 
And he's realized that when he lets people in, when he has close relationships, he's allowing the possibility of horrible pain. And Johnny figures it out. There's only one way to not let this happen again. Don't get close to anyone ever again. That way, when they leave, it won't hurt. Part six is wall up, never trust again. And now the formula for the way culture grieves is complete. Bury your pain. Replace your loss. Grieve alone. Give it time. Live with regret. And never be vulnerable again. Well, my bet is that the majority of us have most of this process in place. And I have to wonder how many of us are walking around with deep wounds that distort the way we see and the way we live. And in my guess... That few of us would, be, uh, would, would not be surprised by how many people there are with deep wounds that have tried to grieve this way and ended up alcoholics, workaholics. They have waves of broken relationships behind them, compulsive eating disorders or spending disorders, all seemingly driven by the inability to grieve properly, recover, and rebuild their lives after tragedy. And so here's the hope of this morning's message. If you grieve right, you can live afterwards. If you grieve wrong, all bets are off. And so what I want to do now is I want to take a look at what I believe is God's response to the way we grieve. And I want to take it step by step, comparing culture's formula with God's. So first, culture said what? To bury your feelings, right? But I believe God says the exact opposite. He says you need to express your feelings. Do not hide. Do not bury. Do not cover up. Do not pretend Or put a mask of strength on. In Thessalonians 4, uh, it says in verse 13, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who have slept in death. So that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. The writer is instructing us in how we grieve. And so the assumption there is that we do grieve. That we're supposed to grieve. But as we grieve, there is a right and wrong way to do it. One day, Jesus hears that his close friend Lazarus has died. Lazarus has two sisters, Mary and Martha, and they were special friends to Jesus. And Jesus travels to the town where he meets the two sisters. And the crowd is waiting there, holding their breath, wondering how the Son of God is going to respond to the death of one of his closest friends. And the scripture says, Jesus wept. Those two words speak volumes about grief management. I think people all over the world and throughout history would be well served by watching Jesus weep. It might give them permission to weep. I've heard it said that weeping is called the language of the soul. It's this cleansing river of emotional release. Just this week, I had a friend in my office say to me, you know what? It's coming. It's been almost a year since my mom died and I can't help but think about her. And when I do, I'm overcome with emotion. I just cry. And it helps. People who can freely express their feelings are on a journey towards hope. My question to you is, how many of you have felt freedom to grieve your losses? Not just death, perhaps uh, lesser losses like childhood traumas, issues with health, broken relationships, job losses, legal problems, maybe the end of an addiction that you had. God is saying, look at my son. Look how he responded to loss. He wept. And it's okay for you to weep, to let yourself be cleansed. 
Culture's next answer for your grief is replace the loss. As soon as you can, move on, get over it, out of sight, out of mind. Take down the pictures, throw away anything that reminds you of them. Find something new to fill that hole that was left. And scripture again teaches the exact opposite. Instead of replacing your loss, it says to review your loss. Sit in that moment and rest. Let the full impact of the loss into your soul. When asked about how she instructs people to grieve, a Christian counselor said this. This is what she advises people to do when they're dealing with loss. She said, of of course, I tell them to feel their feelings. But then I also urge people to reduce radically the pace of their life. I urge them to review their loss. Talk about it openly. Think about it thoroughly. uh, Write about it reflectively and pray through it. And she continued that it was her experience that people want to run from their pain. They want to replace pain with another feeling as soon as they can. To recover from pain You have to face it. You must stand in the process uh, before it will dissipate. That's God's way. It's been my experience as a pastor where people who have experienced relational losses try to replace that loss as quick as they can. I can't tell you how many people that I've seen go through a bad divorce and within weeks are with someone new and sometimes within months engaged to be married again, never having dealt with the pain and loss of their previous marriage. Or girls or guys that I know that go from one relationship to the next. And they'll say things like, I have to have someone in my life. Or I just won't survive. I I couldn't go on. Recently, I was watching a YouTube video that had gone viral. Good Morning America had given the title, Boyfriend Hero. And it was about a woman who had lost her dog. And she was just devastated. And so her boyfriend did the most heroic thing a boyfriend could do. The next day while she was at work, he went out and bought her a puppy, right? And the video is is of her walking through the door. And you can see the look of sadness in her face and in her posture as she walks in. And she comes through the door and there's this puppy. And her tears are now tears of joy because she has a new puppy, right? And culture has convinced her and her boyfriend that the best way to recover from a loss is it to replace it with something new. How many of you have done the exact same thing? Ran from a loss into the arms of something new. Anybody running from pain this morning? Have you medicated your pain with another feeling? That's not God's way. The third part of grief process. Culture says to grieve alone. God says no. Grieve in community. And there are tons of scripture in the Bible telling the brokenhearted to band together. As family, as friends, so that they can grieve in community. If we look at the example Jesus gave us as he was awaiting his death, he took three of his disciples and said, come with me. I need some friends around me. Pray with me. Hold me up. Stay here and keep watch with me. And it's obvious that Jesus' followers learned how to grieve together. Where were they after the crucifixion? They were gathered together. When we grieve together, it can bring both healing and unity. And I know after this week, several of us can attest to that. So quick review, culture says to bury your feelings, replace your loss, grieve alone. God says, have feeling, review your loss, grieve in community. Step four, culture says that time will heal. 
Step four in God's approach is that only the Holy Spirit can heal. He's called the comforter. 50 years ago, industrialists thought that if they could just bury toxic waste, it would go away. We have since learned it doesn't just go away. It makes trouble. It leaks into the water table. It contaminates crops. It kills animals. Buried grief does the same thing. Raw time doesn't heal a thing. Buried pain leaks into our emotional system and it wrecks havoc there. It distorts our perceptions of life. It it taints our relationships. The contamination happens subconsciously. We all know stories of people who years later through counseling or conversation begin to uncover suppressed traumatic experiences they had as a child. Things they never grieved, hurt that never healed, wounds that remained open underneath the surface. Why would we let history repeat itself? We know that if we don't deal with it now, it will never go away. It will only lead to destruction in the future. Time in itself doesn't heal a thing. God's approach says, feel your feelings. Stand in your pain. Review your loss. Grieve in community. And humbly ask the Holy Spirit to heal your broken heart in this time. It doesn't mean that you're not going to carry some scars. It doesn't mean that your life won't change after tragic loss. But you'll be able to move forward. Without the mysterious contamination that I just described, your emotions can start working properly again. Your perceptions and relationships can get cleared up. If you remember the story of Johnny, how he remembered never saying thank you, never saying I love you. And so then he said, hey, I'm just going to live with regret. That was his decision. And so culture says our response to grieving number five is that you have unfinished business with someone who dies. Well, get used to living with regret because there's nothing you can do about it. God's approach to grief management says, yeah, you can express your regrets. One of the major themes of the Bible is reconciliation. And we talk about it often here. And the bigger part of this is that all people can be reconciled to God through the Christ, his son. But right after that is this call for people to be reconciled to one another. To speak the truth in love and soften their hearts towards one another So that they can be in relationship with each other. The Bible offers an amazing provision for people who have unfinished business with someone who can't or or won't reconcile because they're unwilling or because maybe they've died. And the provision is found in Romans 12 verse 18 and says this. As far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. This passage teaches us that if you have, you can finish your part of this unfinished business with anybody. Subsequently, uh, you, you can live without that nagging feeling that you won't ever be able to bring closure to that relationship. God's approach says, you don't have to carry a suitcase of regret the rest of your life. You can still reconcile your side of the relationship. You can still say what you need to say before God and before a few trusted friends. And some of you need to drop that luggage You need to grieve God's way. Let me say this one thing here. Because human life is is very fragile. None of us are promised tomorrow. If you don't want to live with regret, then do something about it. Last Father's Day, if you were here, we sang a song by Mike and the Mechanics. Uh, The lyrics are very familiar to most of you. But the writer is filled with regret for not saying the things he should have said before his father died. And being with the family of Tyler Bowman this week and talking with several teenagers about the relationship with Nate, 
I heard several times people say, man, I, I can never, I never got to tell him this. Or I, I wish I could have just done this with him. Or I never said sorry for what I said. And there are people in this community now that are living with regret for the things they did. And some of you are living with regret. But the good news is that you still have time. So many of you have broken relationships with people that remain broken. I'm not talking about ex-girlfriends or boyfriends. Please do not tell your wife that I said it was okay for you to call your ex-girlfriend up and talk. I did not say that. But some of you have done wrong or have been done wrong. And you need to have that conversation with that person. Don't wait. Don't make that mistake. Some of you need to call your dad or your mom. When I was in college, I wrote a letter to my dad and I told him how I felt about my childhood and how I hated not having a real dad. I hated not having a father say I love you or or, I'm proud of you. I hated not having a dad go to any of my games or sign a single birthday card. But I knew I had to forgive him because I wanted to be a father one day. And I wanted to have a relationship with my son that was the exact opposite. But until I could forgive him and break this generational sin because his relationship with his father was much worse. Until I could move on from that, could I allow God to show me how to love my son? And today things are totally different between my dad and me. I love having my dad around now. I love how he treats and loves and hugs my kids. I get to hug him and I get to tell him that I love him. And I get to hear him say, I love you. I chose not to live with regret. Bury your feelings, bury your feelings, bury your feelings. <laughs> the final part of the grieving process, culture says, hurt me once, shame on you. Hurt me twice, shame on me. If you've been hurt, if you've dealt with loss, then you must build a wall and never let it happen again. You cannot be vulnerable ever again. Now listen to me carefully. This last point makes perfect sense to me. And I think it's sound counsel for anybody, even those who don't have Christ at the center of their lives. And let me explain. There's a story of a couple who lost their house in a fire. Fortunately, they were able to snatch all the kids out just before the whole thing collapsed. They stood out on the sidewalk, hugging and kissing and thanking God. Why? Because despite the fact that they had lost their shelter, they had not lost their treasure which was their kids. That loss was a knockdown, but not a knockout. And we at the Grove believe that the Bible teaches that when a sinner recognizes his sin before God and looks to God for forgiveness and grace, God will grant it on the basis of what Christ did on the cross. When that salvation transaction occurs, that man or woman suddenly realizes the centrality of Christ in their lives and Jesus becomes their treasure. The Bible then promises from cover to cover that Jesus Christ, the treasure at the center of your life, is not vulnerable to any destructive force or power in this world. Jesus said, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Translated, you might lose your shelter or your fortune or your spouse or your kids or your health, but you will never lose me. Never, 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 because I am not vulnerable. And because Christians never lose what is central to their being, they are capable of recovering from any loss that comes their way. Now, it's not going to be easy, and it won't happen overnight. 
but eventually through the process that we've outlined in God's response to grief. But sometimes people do a very dangerous thing. They put something or someone in the central place of their heart where only Christ should be. Some people put something or someone in the center of their life then make that their treasure. And so when that treasure gets ripped out of their lives, the anguish is unbelievable and their lives cave in. The reason for living goes up in smoke or gets lowered into a six-foot grave. It only stands to reason if you lose the center of your life, there's only one thing to do. Wall up and never put yourself in that position again. God's response to that says, People, you matter to me, whoever you are. I know how I made you. You're too fragile to have your treasure ripped out. And so this is what you need to do. Admit your need for God and ask for forgiveness. Make Christ your treasure and he will be secure and invulnerable. And this will change the way you view life and those around you. If you take some hits and losses, you'll know that it's all well in the center of your soul. After a time of feeling your feelings and reviewing your loss and grieving in community and then allowing the Holy Spirit to heal you up and reconciling all your regrets, because of the strength at the center of your life, you'll be able to engage in relationships again and life can go on. There you have it. Two approaches to the grieving process. Culture's response and God's response. Distinctively different, but you've got a choice to make about it. I want to invite the band to join me on stage. It was October 2005. We were in this church in Michigan and our 20-somethings group just had a party in October. It was a costume party and we were all coming back from this party. And Todd and his wife um, got home and Todd had, uh, and his wife had a a three-year-old child and a six-month-old boy. And they got home and um, Veronica, she was just overwhelmed with, uh, with just energy. She, she couldn't go to sleep. And they had gone home kind of late and she just couldn't go to sleep. And she said, Todd, I just, I want to clean. I, I can't think of anything to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go downstairs and scrub the floors. I just I got this energy. And so she did. She goes down there and, and Todd goes on to bed. And just a few hours later, she's in there in, in Todd's bedroom and she's uh, having trouble with her heart. Having trouble breathing. Todd's like, I don't know what to do. And so he called the parent. All the paramedics in, and they come in, and before morning, Veronica was dead. Out of nowhere, it just came in, and it was a huge hit. And so Todd's left with this three-year-old boy and this other six-month-old boy, and you know, trying to get his life back together. That was October, and in end of January, uh, again we're in Michigan, and we have two services, nine and eleven. And Todd's at the nine, 11, nine o'clock service, and he's leaving, going home. Just lives a few miles away from the church. He's headed home between services, hits a patch of ice and gets hit. And his three-year-old boy is killed in that accident, just months apart from each other. How do we counsel him to grieve? Culture's way or God's way? What are you going to do when that phone rings and brings a message that just kicks you in the stomach? What are you going to do when the doctor walks into the room with that look on his face? Or your boss says, I'm sorry, I tried. Or when that person you love says, hey man, it's been real, but I'm out of here. What are you going to do? Which way are you going to go? The stakes are very high. And I hope you make the right choice. 
And so does God. John 16 says, verse 19, Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. And so he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said I, in a little while you'll see me no more? And then after a while, you'll see me again. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish and becomes her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time to grieve. But I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. I've asked the band to sing one last song and I want us as a community to sing this together. And it's a moment for you, for some of you, to let go of some things, to grieve, to feel the feelings, to quit burying your feelings. I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit is pressing on your hearts for some of you to make a phone call today. But some of you first need to let the Holy Spirit do its work today and and heal your heart to allow you to move on and grieve properly. So I'm going to pray. The altar will be opened up. If you're in the back, some of our elders will be back there. I'm asking you guys to be back there to pray. If people want to be prayed with, if you want to get alone, I invite you to come up here to the altar. But I want... God to do his work this morning as a community as we grieve together. Join me in prayer. God, thank you for who you are, for your promise that you will never forsake us, never leave us. That if we put you at the center of our hearts, there you'll be. And so when the storms come and the losses come, that our, our center of our hearts not ripped out, but you remain And your Holy Spirit's there to comfort us and carry us through. And you've called this community to help along the way, to carry each other's burdens, to walk with one another, to grieve with one another. So today we want to feel our feelings. We want to review our loss. We want to be able to let that impact our soul as we grieve together. God, let your spirit heal us. Heal the wounds that we have challenge us to to go out and to do what our our end of the relationship needs to be and make peace to restore to reconcile first with you by accepting your love that we need forgiveness from a savior and choosing to follow you and put you at the center of our lives and to allow that to be the way we view life to be willing to be vulnerable knowing that you're never going to leave, that you got us. I'm going to invite you to stand and sing with me.